back to the Corn Syrup Podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Mike. Happy October, Ty. Mike, we are in full swing, man, with AMC Fear Fest, something we grew up watching. Sci-fi is stepping their game up. FXX is stepping their game up. That's so true that all these networks are finally stepping up. Um, we've always mentioned how AMC Fear Fest was always too short. They usually always start like the third week, second week of October. This year, they finally start on October 1st. That's something we've always wanted. Yeah, it's beautiful. What, what do you think that is? Do you think that's like a, a COVID thing? People are spending more time at home, working from home. Do you think horror has just kind of been revitalized a little bit? I mean, it's it's probably a mixture, right? It could definitely be COVID. Um, I know you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that horror is kind of coming back. It's kind of trendy once yeah. again. Really, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd be sitting here probably talking about Halloween Kills. <laughs> yeah. Which is brutal, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, AMC, Sci-Fi, and all those great networks have blessed us with 31 days of horror movies. So we can't ask for much more. So we're recording this on the 13th. Halloween Kills was supposed to come out this Friday, right? The I 16th? So. yep. Man, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Is. it? Yep. Such is life in 2020. So what's been going on, man? I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. We recorded our interview with Christina Lease. And by the way, for anyone who listened to that, thank you. For anyone who gave us feedback, it was almost all positive. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, thank you again to Christine. Uh, go out and buy her book, support her photography. Do whatever you can to support her. She kicks ass. Uh, man, I'm just high off that interview. That was definitely our biggest um, episode, right? I mean, it had to have yeah, been. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, people are comparing you to Dan Rather. Uh, <laughs> it's a little premature. I don't know, man. You were really good. I saw that we have a new fan in uh, Mark Patton. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, man. So I was in the the Poconos. If anyone's familiar with uh, Pennsylvania at all or the northeast region of the country, I was in the Pocono Mountains over the weekend. And a drive-in up there, the Mahoning Valley Drive-In, had what they called Freddy Fest. It was their second annual Freddy Fest. And it, it ran from last Thursday through Sunday. I went on Thursday. We took a little vacation for our anniversary and went up there. And Mark Patton was one of the guests, and they they showed Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. Uh, Mark Patton was there. The gentleman who played Kincaid was there. I apologize for not remembering his name. Lisa Wilcox was there, who was the star of that movie. And I had a chance to meet, meet Mark Patton. I told him how much of a fan I was. I told him I really appreciated his documentary as well, uh, which came out on Shudder. And he was, he was ve- he's a very gentle guy, very kind um, and I got a chance to get his autograph. I got a chance to take a picture with him. My wife, Chelsea, got a chance to take a picture with him. And he was just super kind. Um, I was a little starstruck because I, I didn't know a guy like Mark Patton would be at a little drive-in theater in the Poconos. Um, and maybe it's just because you. I know you really like that movie too, talking about Nightmare 2. Maybe I just like that movie more than most people. But I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that Mark Patton was there. And it was, it was awesome, man. Yeah, the uh, Scream King. And if you want to check out that picture of Ty with Mark Patton, that's on our Instagram at Corn Syrup Podcast. And of course, always follow us on Twitter at Corn Syrup Pod. So I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're enjoying this spooky season. Uh, we're doing, we're, we're unveiling something a little different today. We're going to be doing a series. We're not going to be doing it consecutively, but we'll be doing it over the course of several episodes in the upcoming months. But we wanted to take a, uh, we wanted to take two movies, one the original and one the remake, and compare them. And we're using five criteria. We're using acting, entertainment, music, scariness, and the writing. Um, and each of us are ranking each of those criteria for the for each of the films on a scale of one to ten for a possible total of one hundred. So we're we're starting with the last house on the left. 
we'll be talking about the original first. The original came out in 1972. It doesn't really feel like a Wes Craven movie, but it was directed by Wes Craven and produced by Sean S. Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame. You saw this movie for the first time just in preparation for this episode, right, Mike? I did. I had only seen it once before, and that was forever ago. I couldn't even tell you when that was, maybe college. But what did you think of the movie? Before we get into the criteria and, and ranking each criteria, what did you actually think of the movie? I mean, this movie looks like it's 48 years old. Talk about a low-budget grindhouse movie, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, last House on the Left, L-H-O-T-L, or even shorter, <laughs> L-O-L, whichever you want to call it. This movie was supposed to be rated X, and uh, the MPAA rated it X many times. Uh, thankfully, Wes Craven had a friend that worked for the MPAA who convinced them somehow to make it radar. What a dirty movie, man. You watch this movie and you just want to take a shower after you watch it, man. Yeah, dude, it's a little difficult to watch, I'm not going to lie. Um, it not, not only because it's so low budget, and we're, we're going to try not to hold that against it. Right, Because, of it, you know, it's 1972. Wes Craven had no money. $87,000. Yeah, exactly. And Sean S. Cunningham apparently didn't have any money either. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not going to hold the budget against it. It can be hard to kind of sift through that and see past it. But but just some of the choices they made, and, and, and they were obviously going for a shock value here. It was very This this is very much early torture porn. I mean, oh, yeah. it, I mean it is what it is, man. But let's just call it what it is. And so that there's certain parts where it, it does feel very sleazy, feels very invasive, and frankly, it just feels wrong in certain moments. That is my overall summary, and for that reason, it doesn't make for an overall pleasant view. Yeah, you don't watch this movie on like a Sunday um, no. afternoon with the family. Uh, this is a movie you watch alone in the dark if you just feel pretty much if you have to watch it, you watch it. You don't really watch this by choice. It's a it's a movie for a certain type of horror fan, right? Um, I don't. I don't ever think I would feel a pull toward this movie, but there are certain horror fans that really appreciate it. And I would say, like, if you're a big fan of the Rob Zombie films, this is probably up your alley. Right, and you can say that kind of about both these movies, but yeah. definitely more so for the 1972 version. So let's get into it, and let's 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 go into let's go in alphabetical order in terms of our, our criteria, um, and we'll start with acting. What was your overall? viewpoint of the acting you can break it down performance by performance you can give an overall arc uh but, but what was your what was your general reaction to the performances in the 1972 original very average and i'll say it like this um the bad guys are really good the good people are really bad mm-hmm. uh i really enjoyed the four cult members if if we want to call them cult members family members mm-hmm. krug uh headlines the family members, and I think he's the best, uh, played by David Hess. Hey, that rhymes. I thought he was convincingly scary as a psychopath, which is, you know, what they really are. Um, and then, of course, you have Fred, the Mar from Home Alone-looking motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was really good. Sadie uh, was an upgrade over Sadie from the 09, I believe. I think just more because she was given yeah. more lines and more to work with. And Junior, uh, he was he was good. Kind of strange, you know. He, he seemed like a strange fellow, but um, you know, he was a typical guy that was leaning off of heroin, and he played it pretty well. Uh, now for the family, the family sucks. Uh, I I saw your notes, so I know what you think about that. So I'll kind of leave that more up to you. But I did not really enjoy them. I do think Phyllis was much better than Mary and more convincing as a final girl. I 
I think her death kind of hit harder a little bit because she was very convincing as the final girl where Mary just kind of stood there the whole time watching things unfold where Phyllis was kind of trying to stop this all from happening. What's your opinion on the acting in this? We, we, we agree on, on most fronts. Um, the, the parents are terrible. The Collingwoods, Mary's parents, that has something to do with the writing too, and we'll get into that a little bit further. But they definitely didn't help themselves with their performances. I think Phyllis was really good. I actually, you know, I was surprised to, I looked the movie up on Wikipedia, and she didn't even have like a Wikipedia uh, page herself. And I was a little surprised by that. I, I kind of would have thought that Phyllis went on to do more work. And, and her name was Lucy Grantham. Um, and I thought she was very good. I thought she was convincing as like the more rebellious teenager, maybe the bad influence over Mary. And you definitely felt bad for her for what she went through. So it was it was effective in that way. Uh, Mary was just okay to me. Yeah, she was just kind of there, it seems like, in scenes. When you look at the 09, uh, they, they kind of flip it. Paige isn't really yeah. – it's kind of just there where Mary's kind of like the fighter. Yeah. Mary's played by Sandra Peabody. She went on to have somewhat of a decent career. She was in soap operas before this movie. She, she wasn't a complete unknown. Uh, but I thought she was fine. I didn't think she was anything spectacular. Krug, again – these movies rely on Krug, and David Hess, I thought, was fantastic. This is a guy, this is his first movie ever. Um, he was really more known as a musician before that, and again, we'll get into that in a little bit. But David Hess was great, man. He was very intimidating. The control he had over Junior, I thought, was the scariest part of the movie. The fact that he got his own son hooked on heroin, and he was able to control him with his mind games. And David Hess played it very convincingly. He was, he was, he was very intimidating in that way from a psychological standpoint. The man who played Fred, or Weasel, whatever you want to call him, his name was actually Fred in real life. It was Fred Lincoln. And he was mainly a porn actor. And you can you can kind of, um, you get a sense for that at, toward the end of the movie, at his death scene. With that blowjob. Yeah, with that with that beige. Uh, but he, yeah, he was okay. Look, I... I don't have a I don't have any problem with the acting other than the Collingwoods, other than Mary's parents, and, and I, of course those police officers. Oh, thank you. for How that. out of place was just that storyline in general? It seems like it didn't belong, and a movie that was only about an hour and twenty minutes long. Like they were still trying to find filler with the with these cops who serve no purpose to the script whatsoever. Watching the 09, it gives you a a, a better understanding of like what what could have been done with the with the time that they gave the cops in the original. Uh, because it essentially served no purpose at all. I mean, they don't even come to the rescue at the end. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they get there and it's too late. So I don't. I don't. I guess it was comedic relief, but it's not funny. In fact, it, it just it was weird and annoying. <laughs> yeah, but I I have compared those cops to the cops of Halloween Five, and yeah. honestly, I think the cops of Halloween Five are better because yeah, not that they serve a purpose, but at least they're there for for the body count. Sure, these cops are here for no reason. No reason. They they have their own little side story. Basically, and, and it, what purpose did that serve? And at it all? sucks. It's <laughs> not good. Um, okay, so on a scale of one to ten, give me your grade for the acting, and then I will give you my grade. If we're doing this on a scale of one to ten, um, the character of Krug, I will give two points, and um, so that's plus two right there for him. I will give a point for Fred and for Sadie, um, and nobody else gets a point. So I will give them a 4 out of 10 for acting for the 1972 version. Okay. I went a little more general, and I, I was I was more general and more generous. Um, I went with a 7. Um, I, I thought Krug was fantastic, that David Hess was fantastic. Um, so I, I did give it an overarching 7. Yeah, and, and it would have been higher if it wasn't for the, for the parents. It's really bad when they find Mary dead and they're just, like, emotionless. Right. 
It's just like, oh, she, you know, they, they almost don't even react to it. And I think acting is very hard to judge, especially when you're looking at movies from the 70s. I mean, yeah. if you looked at if you look at the acting in Halloween, even, I mean, of course, Donald Pleasance is great. And so is Jamie Lee Curtis, but her friends are terrible. And, you know, so you can't mm-hmm. always count on acting in a 70s horror movie because it just acting just really wasn't that great in low budget movies back then. OK, so I gave it a seven. You gave it a four. That's a total of 11 for the acting. And moving into our next category is the entertainment value. This is basically how much fun did you have watching the movie. And I think it is important when it comes to horror movies. They're not always meant to be fun, but some are, especially of the slasher variety. I'll start with this one since you started with the acting. I I was not entertained by this movie. It's hard to be entertained by the movie. It's, it's hard to watch. It's off-putting in some ways. Again, I think maybe the cops were there for like an entertainment factor, but that just felt completely flat to me and actually just bothered me in a way. You know, you and I are big fans of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. Shout out to James A. Janice. The guy's basically doing God's work if you're a horror fan. And he's a big fan of ours. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. But, you know, I was watching his Kill Count recently for The Devil's Rejects, uh, which is a Rob Zombie movie, and Bill Bill Mosley's in that movie. And there's a rape scene with Bill Mosley is raping... um, one of the characters in that movie, and Bill Mosey was super upset about it. He didn't want to do it. And so he told Rob Zombie that, and Rob Zombie came back to him and he said, art is not safe. Now, that sounds kind of pretentious, especially coming from Rob Zombie. But, like, and I think that applies here, but art may not be safe, but that doesn't mean unsafe art is is good. And again, I guess this is a movie just catered to a certain horror fan, and, and so is the 09, but this one even more so. And it came out in 1972. They were obviously trying to make a name for themselves. And it did turn into be an, an influential movie, but but in my opinion, it was influential in the wrong way. This is just not a movie that I would gravitate toward. I was not entertained by it. You know, it, it becomes a little entertaining in the third act where the parents find, after they find Mary dead, uh, Frank, like we said, is basically killed while he's getting a blowjob by <laughs> Mary's mom. And that's entertaining. Um, it's it's funny in a way, but it's not it's not entertaining in the way. Not to give anything away, it's not entertaining in the way that I find the 09 entertaining. So when I think of entertainment for a horror movie, I'll try and think of how good the kills were. Um, now I know we have a separate category on scares, so I'll try to keep those separate. Um, as far as entertainment, though, I mean this is an hour and twenty minute long movie. It's not like it took up too much of our time. Uh, they still had trouble kind of filling out that those 80 minutes. But, you know, it's a movie that made my palms sweat just watching it. And for me, that's entertaining, especially when you're watching a grimy old horror movie. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as that, I gave it a 5 out of 10, just right in the middle. That's fair. And I'll, I'll give you mine. I, I, I gave it a 3. I, I, I gave it some points for the third act. Right. You know, this movie really revolves around the third act. And, yeah. I mean, the 09 sort of does, too, if you think about it. But, you know, the third act, once once they find out that um, the people that they're keeping in their house are the ones that are um, in charge of killing their daughter here, it, it does pick up and it becomes entertaining. But really, anything that came before that, I was – it wasn't just that it was the rape scene or that it was overly perverted, which it was. But I also just kind of found it to be a little boring. Right. Um, and that yeah. – Definitely Even harms the, the uh, pickup scene, you know, where uh, Junior's sitting out front, um, out front of his stoop and picks up the girl. It's just so quick paced, like you don't even yeah. realize what's happening. Like if you blink and miss it, you're like, wait, how are they inside the apartment already being tortured? Yeah, it's just, it's just not, it's just boring, man. It's not exactly fast paced. So I gave it a three, and that's a total for us. What eight? Yeah, 
Uh, so our next category is the music or the score, if you will. There's not many notes I really took for the music because <laughs> what the fuck am I supposed to write down for this shit? Um, so the music for this movie is strange. Like, there's no soundtrack really. They, it just seems like they stole some Benny Hill music at the end. It's so out of place. Doesn't make any sense. It's it's like happy, funny music while someone's getting raped and murdered. The only note I have on it that it like is really of any value is David Hess, the guy who played Krug, actually made the music for this movie. Did he? Yeah. You know, I was looking at his IMDb and I saw that he has a lot of um, soundtrack credits, and not just for this movie, but for movies even that were recently made up to five years ago he, he yeah. still has his uh his music being made in the movies well i think that's what he was doing before he was cast as david hess and mm-hmm. and that's still what he's doing today I, he does have other acting credits but i think he's really more so known as a as a music guy okay well he didn't do a good job for this because I, I don't yeah. know what they were trying to get at it's like a big contrast it's like um you know after the rape scene it's like calming music and when when phyllis is being killed and they're and they're basically mutilating her it's there's like clown sound effects and uh the one scene with the benny hill music like you said when they're carrying the girls out of the um out of the apartment and putting them in the trunk of the Mm -hmm. car it's this weird like rodeo benny hill music it almost sounds like it's game show music you know i don't know if they were if they were trying to be uh funny with it i think that's possible it's also possible that it was 1972 on a nothing budget and you you get what you get but i gave it a two the only piece of music that I did kind of like is um, after the rape scene with Mary when she goes into the water. It's kind of like, you know, it, like the music kind of seems like what just happened, soothing music. Like, uh, so for that, that was okay. So I gave it a two as well. Yeah, agreed. There was there was like a you know a piece of tranquility there right. where she was walking into the water, um, and that was really the only decent piece I got from it too. So okay, we're we're in, we're in agreement there. We're at a four uh, for the music, and our next criteria here. For the original Last House on the Left is scariness, and I will start with this one. Number one, right off the bat, you get the uh, the based on true events, which is not, but it's not, <laughs> but still scary. I gave it a point for that. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I, I think back to when I was a kid and I would right. see that back then. When I was a kid, and this was the '90s, it was impactful to me as a kid. And of back course. in 1972, this is just what you did. And you can't say that they copied off Texas Chainsaw. This came prior to Texas Chainsaw, so definitely props to them for that. Yeah, two years prior. Um, and I think because there was no internet back then, uh, it there was, was no way of checking. You yeah. can't you can't debunk it. So I you know I give them credit for that. That that, that to me is scary, and to me it's almost more of a nostalgic thing when I see a movie um, throws up those based on true events words. I think the movie would have been scary with absolutely no music whatsoever. The scene where they're mutilating Phyllis to me is scary, man. And then they and then they give Mary her severed hand. Uh, but there's some pretty good practical effects when they're um, disemboweling Phyllis with you know, and they, they the basically guts. Yeah, yeah, with the gusts. That that's actually pretty good for 1972 with no budget, man. And I thought that was scary, and it, it definitely got under my skin. Um, it's a very simple movie. I, I don't find the explicitness scary. I find that off-putting. What I do find scary, though, is like the simplicity of it, the fact that this could happen to anybody, and the fact that the cult led by Krug, they seem, they 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 seem they seem dumb in a way, where it's like they don't even understand the magnitude of what they're doing, and that's why they're so fucking reckless. And to me, and to me, that's scary. So I find the simplicity of that scary, 
And as I alluded to, I find Krug's mind games and control over his son Junior to be terrifying. So overall, I think it's a pretty scary movie. I'll let you give your thoughts. Uh, I think you hit it on the head um, with the Krug and his family members. Uh, they are, without a doubt, the scariest part of this movie. Um, I will give credit to Dr. Collingwood and to Mrs. Collingwood. I think they get a little scary at the end of the movie. The scene with Dr. Collingwood with the chainsaw when he's walking up the stairs, for some reason, that kind of made my stomach turn a little bit. I thought that was kind of scary, especially when you have the grindhouse feel of the whole movie. But I agree with you on all on all the scares, and I will give uh, the uh, Collingwoods their credit for being somewhat scary when they had to be. You know, it's pretty scary with the Collingwoods. It's it's actually not a real scene, but the dream that Frank is having. Oh, when, man, that tooth. Yeah, Ugh. because uh, John Collingwood is a doctor. Right. So, like, when you see that, you think, oh, it could be happening. But really, Frank was just having a nightmare. Right. But that was pretty scary, too. I gave, I gave on a, for the scariness, I gave it a six. And I gave it a seven. Okay, so that's the total of 13 for scariness. Our next category is the writing or the script, however you want to put that. Our and final by the, category. And by the way, we didn't do directing. We didn't do cinematography for a number of reasons. Directing, we're not experts. We're a yeah. couple of schmucks with a podcast. You know, I, I don't I, – I'm not always a good judge. I don't think of, that we're ones that tell – Wes Craven, that he didn't do a good job directing. <laughs> yeah, know. and cinematography, we're talking about a movie from 1972. Yeah, and again, we're not we're not experts yeah. here. And one movie has a $90,000 budget, and the other one has a $15 million budget. So, yeah. Know. So we went with things that are a little more easier to evaluate. Um, and, our, and our fifth and final criteria for the original here is writing. And Mike, kick it off, man. Tell me what you think overall. So the idea for this movie, the script and the writing, I think is very original. Um, I think the acting and the script kind of go hand in hand because I love the way that the cult members were done in this movie. Um, is that okay that I keep calling them cult members? I feel like I don't know what they are. It is are what it cult? is, man. They're not. I mean, they're just bad people. But I'm okay with calling them a cult. Let's let's call them cult for the time being. Uh, I really like the way that they were written, even if we may not like the acting all that much at times. The very first note I took for the movie was like there's that weird scene in the beginning with Mary and her parents when she's first getting ready to go out with Phyllis and she's not wearing a bra and her dad, and her dad is like no bra you can you can see your nipples and I don't know man it's weird I wrote that down I thought that was fucking weird I don't know if that's how parents talk to their daughters back in 1972 or I doubt it dude I don't know it, it was it was it was weird um it's a perverted movie of course but it it really takes it over the top at times as I said about Krug and his gang, like the antagonists are are true maniacs. Like I almost think they're not smart enough to realize how brutal their actions are, and I think that is in part to the writing. Um, and I enjoyed that about it. It's almost like they don't have a care in the world. They're just completely batshit reckless. You know, they're flawed and they're beatable. They're not. They're not superhuman. They're just. They're just straight scum. Mary being killed in this movie, and the killers making sure it's done definitively is probably more realistic than what you get in the remake, not to spoil anything. Right. But heinous people like that, they don't leave people alive. Right. They and make you sure saw that with Phyllis where they actually ripped her guts out. Right. Krug is not, you know, people like that, the job is done. The, the son, again, going back to Krug and his relationship with Junior, like the son is rewarded for doing cruel things. To me, this is better writing than what you get in the 09. I think you could, man, I think you can make a case that Krug is even more evil and devious in this one than in the 09 because of the mental aspect because he's mentally controlling of junior 
And I think the parents, back to what you said about it being scary at the end there uh, with, with the Collingwoods, it's pretty. It, it's not bad because they had zero edge in this movie up until that final act, right. until they found Mary dead, and then they turned completely. The biggest drawbacks for the writing to me is it's it's very, very perverted and weird, and the cops are fucking horrible characters. <laughs> and that's what, that's what I got on the writing. Now, you hit it on the head, so I'm just going to give you my score. Uh, I think it's a 5 out of 10 because this movie's hit and miss. So 5 out of 10, I think. Totally agree. Totally agree. So that's a total of 10. I had it down for a 5 as well. So with everything tallied up, that leaves us with a final score of 46 for the original 1972 Last House on the Left. Which kind of falls in line. Uh, the Rotten Tomato score was a 62. The audience score was 44. So we're right in between. Look, man, it came out in 72, $87,000 budget, which is basically nothing. It is what it is. It was a polarizing movie when it came out, obviously. Whenever whenever anything com- comes out like this, especially back in the 70s, um, people are going to want it to be banned and everything like that. This made $3.1 million in 1972. That's a, that's a pretty penny. That's pretty good, especially for a movie that people um, didn't want other people to see. Yeah. The movie they don't want you to see. <laughs> it's like every trailer from yeah. any seventies horror movie. But hey, man, it's hard to say. It's it's hard to deny the influence it had, and it and was with the people that made that movie. I mean, you have to, you know. I wonder if Wes Craven would have ever done what he did if it wasn't for this movie. And and I was talking about it with you earlier. Um, this was produced by Sean S. Cunningham, and mm-hmm. I wonder if Friday Thirteenth would have um, ever been made if it wasn't for this movie, because he made a lot of money off this movie, so he had yeah. to finance Friday Thirteenth somehow. It's a great point. Yeah, could have been a chain reaction. And also, this movie definitely had good bones. Like you could tell that the concept was there, right? And that it, it definitely warranted a remake. It's refreshment time, and our refreshment stand is loaded with good things to eat. There's crispy, crunchy popcorn, and hot, delicious buttered popcorn, lots of candy, and frosty, refreshing cold drinks. Why not treat yourself at the refreshment center now? Let's get into it, man. The remake came out in 2009. Much larger budget, naturally. It had a budget of what, 15? 15 15 million dollars, yep. Which is actually kind of a lot, because this movie was intended to be straight to DVD. Oh, wow. Um, Actually went through some test screenings and some audience screenings in 2008, and... They really liked it and they enjoyed it, so they decided to say, "Screw the DVD. Well, this this is going right out to theaters." Cool, man. Yeah, now it definitely warranted a, a theatrical release. That, that would have been a shame if it went straight to DVD right. because it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, it's definitely one of those movies that we would still be talking about. I feel like if it went to DVD and we'd be asking that question, "Why wasn't this?" That's kind of what we say about the the uh, new Chucky movies. Why aren't these in yeah. theaters? You know. True. Um, yeah, so I mean, we we saw this. We've seen this movie quite a few times. Oh, I, yeah. I I've seen it at least a handful. Um, it came out in two thousand nine. I w- we were what juniors in high school, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I I don't know if I actually ever saw it in high school, but I definitely saw it a bunch when I was in college. And I will tell you my 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 first thought of the movie before we get into the categories. My first thought of the movie was uh, I didn't know his name at the time. The guy who played Krug was fantastic. And I also thought the guy that played Francis was fantastic. Francis ended up being Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad fame, which which came out about a year before this movie was released in 2009. I'm pretty sure this uh, movie was shot in 2007, so I don't think he was even really, you know, of that uh, Jesse Pickman, 
Breaking Bad fame yet. Let's get it. Let's get into the categories. First one is acting. This movie is a modern telling of a story that needed to be told again, and part of it is because of the acting. You know, the 1972 acting is nowhere near close to the acting that we get in this movie. It's not perfect by any means in this movie, but the Collingwoods are significantly better in this movie. And then I think all the cult members are just as good because I think the cult members were the best part of the 72 movie. Uh, You can say they're the best part of the 09 movie too. You don't have to because I think there's more of an argument to be made in this movie. The only acting I don't like in this movie is by Justin, who's played by uh, Spencer Treat Clark. Uh, He's the son of Krug. Don't like the way he was written. I don't really like the acting. I know you have a big spiel to go on about his acting, so let's hear it. Yeah, his acting annoys me, man. It's uh, he's like overly emotional. Um, it looks like he's about to cry all the time. It does if anyone's seen the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, it's kind of like the main character from that movie. I don't remember his name, and it doesn't matter. But I, I just don't like his performance. It's 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 not convincing. It's awkward. He speaks so low sometimes that you you just want to like jump into your TV screen and tell him to speak louder. I don't I don't know. It it just it's it's a performance that I cannot get behind. I don't it, this is the first time I've seen this movie in a long time. I don't remember being that bothered by his acting back in the day. Um but to me it's definitely a low point for this movie from an acting standpoint. It's definitely the low point from an acting standpoint. And the, I do have a big problem with him, but I think it falls more in line with the script and writing, so I'll get into it. Okay. Then Fair enough. Everybody's fantastic other than that. You could I have a small gripe about the late the girl that played Paige, Martha McIsaac. From Super Bad. Yeah, of Super Bad fame, man. Um she's just okay. She's a little annoying. But I but I think that's who her character is. I get it. Phyllis was much better in the seventy two. Totally agree on that. Totally agree. The Collingwoods, obviously you get gigantic upgrades with John Collingwood played by Tony Goldwyn. From and Friday Thirteenth Part Six, from the Belko experiment, he's he's quite the uh, the uh, horror movie yeah. guy. Yeah, man, and uh, Emma Collingwood, played by Monica Potter, she's fantastic in this. Yeah, can she's... you name another horror movie that she was in? No, Saw. Oh, good call. With the head, uh, holy crap! She's the original head uh, piece. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, man, they're they're both very good, especially Monica Potter, Sarah Paxton. Obviously, I mean. This is stating the obvious, but she's a big upgrade over Sandra Peabody. Sarah Paxton was like, you know, she was a younger actress at the time. I think she was like 21, 22 when this movie came out. So she was probably like 19, 20 when it was filmed. Um, she was relatively known at the time. And they, they made they made sure, the writers made it known that they wanted to get a girl that was sort of average looking um, and that people would feel bad for her. They didn't want her to be overly sexualized right. or anything like that. And she's very good. And uh, Garrett Dillahunt, who plays Krug, is, along with Monica Potter, in my opinion, the standout performance from this movie. I agree. He's great, man. He's he's understated. Um, he's, he's like, sneaky. He has this way that he speaks that um, he sounds intelligent. You know, he, like, he has good vocabulary. And to me, sometimes those are, like, the scariest villains, the ones of that course, are, yeah. are educated a little bit. And Where in the 72, you know, they're kind of just a bunch of dumb rednecks. They're dumb, exactly. Yeah, this guy's different, man. He's He's got, like, that southern drawl. He's conniving. He's intimidating. He's intense. Um, so shout and to- he kind of seems like someone that you would let into your house you yeah. know, after they've been through an accident. You know, he seems trustworthy, and, and it's that's the way, scary. It, it's the way he speaks, man. It's the way he presents himself mm-hmm. until he, you know, he, he reveals how evil he is. So shout out to 
Garrett Dillahunt, who has done a lot. I don't know if I've personally ever seen him in anything else, but he's fantastic. No, and if you look at like you know his stuff on YouTube, he does not seem like the he he lost himself in this movie. So a lot of respect to him. Yeah, they had a lot of people come out and audition for this role. They were blown away by Garrett Dillahunt, um, and now we see why. He's great. Aaron Paul also very good. He he plays a good creep. He does. Um, you know, he's maybe a little bit over the top at times. If I could just nitpick a little bit, but he's very good. And I remember being, I remember be, I remember being struck by his performance back when I first saw the movie in right. college, even before I saw Breaking Bad. Yeah, I'm like watching this, and you know, I've gone through Breaking Bad two or three times, and I'm watching this, and I don't get um, any sense that I'm watching Jesse Pinkman. You know, yeah. I'm watching a good actor play a creep. And then to round out Krug's gang, we. We get Ricky Lindholm as Sadie, who's actually a comedian in real life and really just does comedy work. Hmm. Um, to me, I don't know, man. I she's think... kind of a nothing character. I've I've feel like the S seventy two version of Sadie was given a lot more. I think she was a missed opportunity in this movie. Then again, it gave more time for Garrett Dillahunt and Aaron Paul to shine. Right. So I get that, but really, Sadie in this movie kind of existed just to show her tits a few times. Yeah, that's the truth. But overall, the acting, I love it. I, yeah. re- I really do. Ju- I'm only docking at one point, and that's because uh, Spencer Tree Clark, I thought, was really bad. But I, I don't want to, like, that That to me didn't harm the overarching acting experience right. that much. I mean, I-, I gave it a nine. Yeah, so I'll dock it one point for the character of Justin and, and his acting. I'll also dock it another point just for the fact that, you know, this is a $15 million budget and a modern movie. I expect the acting to be a lot better than what it was on a $90,000 movie from the 70s. So I'll give this an 8. Is there anyone you were super um, disappointed with other than Spencer Tree Clark? We spoke about Sadie, but that was really more the writing. No, because there's really no side characters like uh, what we had with the cops in 72. Um, This movie really only focuses on what seven or eight people in the entire movie um i guess you can say Paige, but you know i think she did fine she wasn't awful yeah and i also think she was written a certain way to be like the bumbling right teenager okay so that's a total of 17 for the acting for the remake and then we'll go into the entertainment value and versus the 1972 i also found this movie to be more entertaining um the beginning is awesome with the car crash and what I like about the beginning, so when you get a modern version of this, you kind of, and especially how gory and how gruesome the 72 version is, you kind of expect them to like tiptoe around like the violence and like, and like the brutality. And they don't do that. And it shows in the opening scene when he's choking the um, cop with the seatbelt yep. while he's showing him his family. Like that's, oh. that's torturous, man. And like, that's how like, you know that you're not going to get like a PG 13, remake which is what they do a lot like like nowadays like this movie does not tiptoe around the violence and i respect that um there's also another really good car crash which basically sets the movie in motion a little bit more is when mary burns sadie with the cigarette lighter mm-hmm. um in the car and then there's another big car crash another really good car crash scene oddly enough there's two really good car crash scenes in this movie aaron paul's death Awesome. Is ridiculously entertaining. It's like that's like the best death in both movies, right? Hands down. For sure, man. From from you know taking both of these two movies into consideration, that's like the pinnacle of the entertainment. So long and drawn out, 
And what I like most about that death is that's kind of when you see like the tables turn from the Collingwoods turning into the Hunters. You never really get that feel in the 72 version. It just kind of like happens, you know, like there's no turn of events that makes them start hunting them. This is when you know when that death happens that, okay, now those people are in trouble. Yeah. The parents aren't fucking around anymore. Right. So Aaron Paul was stabbed. He had a bottle smashed over his head. His nose was rebroken. That's awesome. It's um, especially when they go through that intense scene of him putting his nose <laughs> yeah. back in place, and then just in two seconds he breaks it. It's back. like a ten-minute scene of him getting his nose stitched up, and then he just gets it rebroken. But then his hand gets put in the, to the uh, garbage disposal. Hmm. His face is held underwater. Gets a hammer to the head. I mean, this 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 dude is just mangled. Yeah. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun, man. And it's even more fun, to, you know, looking back, and it's Aaron Paul. And especially for the crimes that, you know, they had just done, you never really got the sense that they really got their payback in 72 because all the deaths were quick and, you know, they're kind of boring somewhat. Yeah. When you when you see that death, you're like, oh, he got what he deserved. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. And then obviously you get the microwave kill at the end. Of course with uh with krug that's again that's just more entertainment um that that like to me that's gore done well yeah you know you can be overly gory like the hostile movies and everything like that to me this was gore done well i got one big demerit i, I know i know like the movie kind of relies on this a little bit i watched the unedited version going into this podcast um it, it was my first time seeing the unedited version i think i don't remember ever seeing it before but the rape scene of Mary in this movie is really dragged out. It's really graphic. The unedited version, uh, I read online, it was at least a minute longer. Um, They said at least, so that means it could have been more. But it's very graphic, man. And I don't want to get into this too much. I'll talk talk about it a little bit more when I get to the writing. But to me, that is a demerit. Yeah, because no one really wants to see it. And even if it's a part of the story, there's no need to really drag it on. No, The 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 way they shot it sucks. It hurt, to me, it hurt the movie a little bit, at least a little bit. So I know, like, you want these these cult members to come across as terrible humans, and you know, ultimately get what they deserve, you know, with their deaths. But yeah, that was too much. I think you could do it in a less offensive way. Like, dude, I know it's twenty twenty. We're all, you know, people get offended easily about everything. But to me, it was a lot, man. Like the unedited version, I'm not going to get into it. But if you watch it, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's just, it's too much. It's a little too disturbing for my taste. So for me, the entertainment, I'm giving it a seven. And I will give it an eight. Beautiful. So for entertainment, we are at a fifteen. So the the third category we have for the 2009. Last House on the Left remake is The Music. Coincidentally enough, just about a month ago, we were talking about 28 days later, 28 weeks later. This score was done by the same guy. It's John Murphy, who made that epic music uh, for the 28 Days Later movie. It's it's not great here. It's not terrible. To me, the music in this movie, it's kind of cookie cutter. Like, you know, it's, it's happy when you're supposed to be happy. It's tense when you're supposed to be tense. Um, there's nothing groundbreaking. There's a really good piece of music when they first get to the lake house and Mary goes for that swim. Like she takes yeah. her when she first takes her clothes off and jumps into the water. It's a really good piece of intense music and I swear to god when I heard that music, I'm not bullshitting you. I th- I thought it was a little bit reminiscent of the music from 28 days later. Just a little bit. Yeah. But it but there was a it was a little bit it sounded a little bit familiar to me and that was a really good piece of music. 
Um, do you have anything to add on the music front? No, I don't. I just agree with you that the, that it is kind of um, cookie cutter music, you know. So that's why I just gave it a five out of ten. I gave it a four, man. I really wanted it to be a little bit better, especially again, coming from John Murphy. Yeah, and you, again, you get that good piece at that moment in the first act, and they never go back to that piece of music again, or they never build off that music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit disappointing to me. So I gave it a four. I really felt like that could have been better. Our next, our next category is scariness. So this movie, I don't think it's as scary as the 72 version. The way I picture it is, which movie would you rather sit alone in the dark and watch? I'd probably rather watch this movie because the 72 version, I think it just feeds off like the graininess and the grindhouse feels so much. This is, I I think because this movie is a little too modern, it makes it a little less scary. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. This movie is scary, but... That's why I gave it a 6 out of 10. I'm just going to give you my score up front. I think I gave the 72 version a 7 out of 10. So this is just a little step below. I just think that the modernness of this movie kind of took it down a notch for me. How about you? Yeah, fair enough, man. There's something about watching a movie in 2020 that was made in 1972 that has a different Mm -hmm. effect on you. I also gave this a six, which is the same score I gave the 1972. I thought they were scary in different ways. This one was more more so for its intensity. I do think intensity can be scary in a way. This movie was very edge of your seat. I think you mentioned the 1972, you felt your palms getting sweaty. Mm-hmm. I, and I do feel that way about the 72, but I, but I feel that way about this movie too because it's very, it's very fast-paced and thrilling. You know, this movie is a lot less simple than the 1972 original, but it's more intense. So they were scary in different ways, I thought. Um, The intensity, especially in the motel scene, when they first arrive and Mary and Paige are there. Yeah, it's a lot better done than the the introduction from the girls to the cult. You you can cut the tension in that scene with a a butter knife, man. Like, you you know when they walk in, there's just a presence about Mm -hmm. them, specifically Krug and Francis, not so much Sadie. But it... Yeah, it's just a it, it's a different feel you get from that scene. Where it hurts to me a little bit from a scare perspective is, for the most part, other than a couple changes, you do kind of know how it's going to end. Right. And so there's not there's not a whole lot left to the imagination, and that does hurt the scariness a little bit. So yeah, man, I gave it a six. I think it's similar to the 1972, just just in a little bit of a different way. So that's a total of twelve for the scare level. Especially when the uh, Collingwoods start to hunt the uh, Krug and his family, I feel like that's when it kind of loses its scare and it kind of, and yeah. but it starts to turn more into an entertainment, but it kind of loses its scare. I yeah. think when when the tables turn turns into like a thriller. So our last category for the '09 remake of Last House on the Left. By the way, we should mention the director of this movie. Uh, yeah, might as well. Be good. His name is Dennis Iliadis, and the reason I kind of forgot to mention him up until now is he really didn't do a whole lot before that no. or since. So he's he's very much a forgettable name, but he did a good job. He did, and obviously Wes Craven, you know, he he was co-producer on this along with Sean S. Cunningham, and uh, Wes Craven backed him fully. Uh, he knew that there was a story to be told here with a bigger budget, and they wanted them to be able to fill some scenes that he wanted to film back in '72 but didn't have the money for. And uh, back to the writing, it was written by Carl Esworth. He he said it was a focal point to make Mary easy to root for, which is why 
you know, they they took the time. It's a longer runtime in this movie. It's a bigger budget. They took the time to explain who Mary is, um, and that that really helped the movie. They right. turned her into a swimmer. They gave her a dead brother. Now, the dead brother thing doesn't really come into play at all. No. I don't think. But I guess it was just a, a reason for us to um, to care about Mary. Right. And sympathize. I, I thought that was really smart. The one thing I really have a problem with the writing is why does Justin put them in danger? Why does he bring Mary and right. Paige back to the motel room to sell them pot? I know he says that, oh, they weren't supposed to be back. But if you know your your family are fucking psychotic right. maniac killers, why would you even take that chance? And I was watching this with my girlfriend, and we were getting into a fight about the character of Justin because she goes, oh, well, he's just looking for friends. It's not his fault. Said, it's damn well his fault that yeah. what their fate is, is is all because of him. You know, I mean, and you said it. If you know your family's capable of what they're doing, you, you know, you would just meet them. Like, why can't you smoke pot outside of the motel or, you know, like – I I don't get it, um, and that's smoke. what makes me hate the character even more. And with the writing, I hate how they uh, handled the ending with him, how the family saves him. It it just seems like a Disney Channel type ending. Like, yeah, I think a cool ending would have been them killing him, or you know, just telling him to go fuck himself and me go too. away instead of saving him. Uh, that that writing aspect kind of threw it off for me, and I took a point off for that. He's such a frustrating character from both a writing standpoint and an acting standpoint. And it really, you know, going back and watching it for the recording of this, he uh, he really bothered me. Mary making it back to the house, not being killed by Krug and his gang, although definitely far less realistic. I understand that it's a fresh wrinkle. Yeah. Um, it's It would basically have been impossible. I mean, she was already wounded. She was just raped. She was shot. She was swimming. It would have been right. impossible. And they would have had to find out you know, what happened to her, you know, because in um, 72, I think the mother finds like the chain on a junior and, and that's how she yeah. kind of figures, which mm. is kind of stupid. I kind of like this way better. Yeah. He basically, you know, Justin basically left it behind and dimed out his family. Yeah. Krug in this movie is written better, man. Um, he is. He's a lot smarter. He's scarier. He's more intense. He's dangerous. Yeah. What they did with Krug in this was, was definitely a modern upgrade of already a pretty scary character. Right. Yeah, the uh, one constant in both these movies is how awesome Krug is. Uh, uh, the way yeah. he's written in both movies, he's definitely written better in this movie because I feel like they took their time more. And like you said, th this movie's a half hour longer, but still somehow paced better, you know? Um, yeah, I think Krug, when it's all said and done, he's really one of the best horror movie villains of all time that's not named Michael Jason Freddy. I mean, when they ultimately make a remake in 20 or 30 years there's <laughs> yeah. going to be krug yeah again he's like um synonymous with this franchise now and again shout out to garrett dillon man i don't want to overstate it but he he crushed this role um with a with a lesser crew this movie's probably not nearly as impactful uh so he did, he did a great job and the writers really did a good job too did you notice they didn't explain what krug was in prison for in this movie they, no, they didn't. They right. did it in the original. Mm -hmm. He killed a, a a nun and two priests or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and then he killed a prison dog, which is yeah. not cool. <laughs> so yeah, they didn't. They didn't explain that. I don't. I don't need that. By the way, that was just an observation. I don't really care either way. The longer movie gave the parents more time to do their thing, and really, I think it's like an additional twenty five minute runtime here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that was really not only to set up Mary better as a character, but also 
to give the parents more time in that third act to wreak havoc and just go ape shit on Well, the Aaron Paul scene was about half hour, it it, uh, seemed like. Yeah. And back to the rape scene, um, I'm of the opinion that that didn't even have to be included in the movie. Like, do we – we already know that they're dangerous. Right. Like, just because the rape scene was back there in 1972, you didn't have to do it. Right. Like, there's a difference from a low-budget movie from from the 70s than, you know, like a theatrical movie now. And, like, they already killed Paige. Right. They ripped her shirt off. I'm I'm okay with them, like, ripping her shirt off and all that. But I'm just saying, like, you didn't really need that rape scene to cement the fact that these people are fucking psychotic. Right. Because we already knew. We're familiar with the concept of the movie. Um, it didn't have to be there. It definitely did not have to be shot the way it was shot. And again, just like I gave it a pretty decent sized demerit from an entertainment perspective, I'm gonna, I, I gotta detract some points from a writing standpoint too. I just don't think it was necessary. And I guarantee you, man, when they remake this movie in wh- however many years, there's no rape no. scene. I oh, promise. I promise you that. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that there was in 2009. Just imagine what it would be like in 2029. Or 2039, when it, whenever this movie comes out. Um, yeah, we can count on there not being another rape scene. And it kind of makes me hate Justin even more for what yeah. he put them girls through. Because it's his fault. I don't care what my girlfriend says. That's his fault that this movie happened. <laughs> I'll give you my score for the writing. And I, th- I think this is going to be a lot less than yours. And for two reasons. The character of Justin is written horribly. Yeah. Because you got to remember, like, that he's basically the reason all of this happened. And then he lives at the end. And yeah. we're supposed to feel for him? Yeah. like Fuck that kid, man. Yep. So it's bad writing. Um, Spencer Tree Clark sucked my dick. <laughs> the rape scene is bullshit. So to me, those are two big demerits. I'm giving it a four. And again, I'm holding it in high regard because like the bones were already there. The concept was there. Right. They just had to tweak it and modernize it. And I don't think they did a great job other than making Mary a more likable and sympathetic character and making Krug even smarter and more dangerous. I think overall, I don't, I think they left some meat on the bone. I somewhat disagree with you. Um, I think everything is explained so much better. Like I said, it's a better pace of movie, even though it's 25 minutes longer. I think the characters are written so much better. I think the calling ones are written so much better. You got rid of a lot of side characters that you didn't need. Uh, far from a perfect script. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. So in total, that is a 10 yes. for the writing. So for the 2009 Last House on the Left remake, that gives us a total of 63 out of 100. We can declare the remake as the better film over the original by a score of 63 to 46. Yeah, I've always known... Uh, that this movie was better. Uh, I don't think I even had to see the 72 version to know that this movie would be better. You could probably take one look at its budget right. and figure it out for yourself. Right. Rotten Tomatoes, they gave the 2009 version a 42%, and the fans gave it a 52 So we think much highly of this movie than they do. But screw them. Me and Tyree are experts, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's not surprising, because 09, like that was a time... like. People just didn't like horror movies. No. It, it wasn't, you know, we're, we're not exactly talking the golden age of horror here. Yeah. Horror was dead, without yeah. a doubt. People Especially were... horror remakes. Oh, yeah. That is it for our very first entry in our remake versus original series. We'll be back doing the same thing. We don't know what the next movie will be. We don't even know when it will be, but we're going to continue doing this. I think it's a pretty good concept. I like it because there's a lot to do. There's a lot to work with. Uh, we have some ideas, mm-hmm. but... 
I uh, know when we did our 51 movies that we covered a lot of originals and remakes, but we could maybe even dive back into that. Yeah, absolutely. So just to give you a heads up on a little bit of what's on the horizon, we're, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks, and I think as of right now, we're going to be talking about the Final Destination franchise. We're going to be ranking all five of those movies, uh, movies that Mike and I have seen over and over again, each of them. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be back doing that. We also have a couple other interviews in the works, nothing set in stone, but we are working on that as well. A couple months ago, someone asked us what the concept for the podcast was, and obviously it's horror. That's the concept. Like we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. We're going to interview right. people. We're going to do one-off movie reviews. We're going to do this remake versus original. We're just we're, we're going to do what we want. If you like horror, I think you'll like the podcast, and honestly – we're not going to overthink the podcast because then there is a certain point where it stops being fun and interesting. Exactly. And, and if it's not, we being... are grown men. So once we stop having fun with this podcast, <laughs> we're probably just not going to do it. You know? Yeah. So someone asked me like what the concept was and I know I ran it by you and I was like, Hey man, maybe we should think about this. And then we were like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> this is, it's a, our tagline is a low budget podcast for a low budget genre. Our concept is horror and fun. Hope you guys are having fun with us. Anything to add there, Mikey? Yeah, so you can find the 1972 version of Last House on the left on Epics, or you can find it on Amazon Prime. And you can catch the 2009 version on AMC Fear Fest. Uh, I believe it airs next on October 20th at midnight and October 26th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time Standard.